but I'm, I'm actually jazzed today. We've, we've been talking about small groups. Um, if you kind of hang around us, you'll know um, we have seasons where we focus on small groups. Uh, two times primarily where we do the spring and the fall, we do small groups, and they're 12 weeks long. Usually it's a 13-week calendar, which gives you spring break or, or Thanksgiving, you know, whatever it is in the middle of the holidays kind of stuff. But it gives us 12 weeks to do something that's based on affinity. So, you know, in other words, if you have, uh, we've had small groups around running, we've had small groups around books of the Bible, we've had small groups around um, creative, we, we have one right now that's uh, creativity and, and, and the arts. So there's all different reasons that we do small groups in terms of affinity, affinity, but the whole idea is to just get us together. What we've discovered is if you will get together with people, God will make sure that you grow and he makes sure that other people will grow as well. So it's really important that we do it. We don't apologize for it. We're going to talk about this a little bit uh, in the future. Never apologize for this. Our small groups, again, part of it is, is we, we challenge small group leaders to lead um, and lead really well. Part of that is, is to challenge people that if you're in a small group and you talk too much, anybody ever been, that's been me, like almost every small group I've ever been in. And so some leader will come and go, hey, listen, love what you have to say. It's awesome. Could you stop saying it? No, they don't, they don't usually do it that harsh. So they just challenge me and go, hey, I love what you have. Could you maybe take a breath and let somebody else talk? Right? And, and part of that's really challenging. That's happened, hasn't happened recently, thankfully. I'm trying to learn. Um, but that happened to me a long time ago. And when it did, it was, first of all, it was really challenging. I was like, well, you know, they said small groups was all about love and kindness and connection. And, and look, you know, and I thought they were just going to be, you know, sweet to me. <laughs> And they were, like they totally were, right? But they also challenged me. Part of that, and part of that is when we do that, what we're doing is we're growing together, right? You often don't know some of the tendencies and some of the challenges you have in your own personality or in your life, some of your brokenness that comes out when you're talking, when you're sharing, when you're doing things. You often don't know that until you get around people. But here's inevitably what happens. A, a number of people, when that occurs, they, they, whether they, the person says it right or says it wrong, sometimes they don't say it as, as well as they could, but regardless, we get offended, right? And we're like, ah, oh, you know, just being around people, that just, it just sucks. I'm just not going to do that anymore, right? And so then you, you tend to isolate yourself and you find when you do that, it's much, much easier to be alone. You ever notice this? But it's really hard to dance, <laughs> right? You ever try to dance alone? It's just, you know, at first it's fun, and then it gets really super awkward, right? Because <laughs> you're like, nope, why am I doing this? I forgot, right? But there's something about being together that God called us to. He designed us to be together. That if we would lean into this, that the blessings, I promise you, far outweigh the challenges that come. But in the challenges, oftentimes, even when we don't do the challenges right or perfectly, which happens sometimes, um, it, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, and it challenges us to grow, right? So we talked about last week when I was doing, you know, jumping into this series, we talked about the tension in relationships. And I talked about how tension isn't necessarily bad. So sometimes you're in a relationship and it's like, oh, you know, it's like we're, we're, there's tension. I'll, I'm always afraid of couples who say, we never argue. I'm like, oh, you will. And when you do, woo, is it going to be beautiful, right? It's going to be a beautiful storm. <laughs> and the reason, if, and if you don't, what's happening is you're just building up animosity. It's like, no, 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 you know, we've worked it out. We're young and we know, we know things because we got married at 20, you know, so we know that's what Karen and I did. We knew a lot of things that you guys, you older people did not know because we were 20. And so we, we would get into arguments and we're like, no, no, you, you know, just don't say it. Don't bring it up. That's, that's the best thing to do in a relationship. Just don't bring stuff up, right? Because you know it's going to push the button, so just don't bring it up. Anybody tried that? <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Right? It, it's coming up. You can, you, can, you can help it come up in positive ways, and you can get skilled at it, or it's going to come up. The point is that tension in relationships, God designed it on purpose, right? Not brokenness. Brokenness brings tension of it, uh, attention of its own. I'm talking about even in healthy, whole people, in relationship, there's always going to be tension. Why? Because there's something God's trying to do in the tension. And we talked about this. We talked about like the physics of a sailboat last week, and especially with a husband and wife, and how the sail and the rudder are opposite and against one another. So there's a destination. There's a vision for your life as a, as a family, right? So this is where you feel God's called you to. Whatever that is, whether it's to build a business, whether it's to be a part of a church, help build a church, whatever that looks like, the part that you play in the kingdom, all of those things, it's a vision, a direction that God's called you to, Right? And in that, to, to do that well, oftentimes what God does, he gives you the vision and destination. You agree on that, right? The rudder and the, and the sail have agreed to the destination. 
But to get there, the way the physics of a sailboat work is the wind doesn't push you from behind. That's what we think it does, but we're wrong, right? That's why we use the scripture that we talked about before. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it's death. In other words, God's way is better. We think we know better. We think we, we try oftentimes to do things outside of the way God designed them and think we're going to get a, a better result, and we never do. Never, ever do. Right? So God designed this, and so this tension that happens between the sail and the rudder is, is what actually causes forward movement. And the, it's the wind blowing over the sail. It creates a, a pressure. You know, it's just like a wing, and it creates a pressure that draws it through the wind, actually. So, so when you have wind toward a sailboat, so when you have, um, for lack of a better term, you have um, adversity come at you as a family, come at you as a couple, come at you as a church, come at you as a business. When the wind of adversity comes, God's not trying to, uh, trying to make nice things from behind you, move you forward, right? In this fallen, broken world, he's designed that the tension in the adversity with the wind coming right at you is actually what brings you to the destination you're aiming for. We find this all the time. You find, you find a, if you have a good CEO in a company, one of the things he has to realize is he's got to hire people who are not like him. <laughs> right? Because the last thing, you, the worst mistake a CEO can make is to hire everybody like him. You already have him. You don't need, you don't need another him, right? Same thing in a church scenario, in church setting. We don't need more people like us. But isn't that what we normally do? I want people who think like me, who do everything my way. I want, you know, the same culture because it's easier, right? How many of you guys, I mean, most of you guys are Southerners. How many of you guys have hung around Yankees? Well, I mean, I'm talking about Christian Yankees, right? Anybody ever hang around a, a Christian Yankee? You just wonder if they're even a Christian sometimes, don't you? It's like, how, you are so rude. I don't understand why you're so rude. And they're always like, you are too nice. Why don't you just say what you think, right? So there's, that's that cultural difference. And if you hang around people who are different than you, I'm not talking about like totally different values. I mean, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know, let's, let's hang around super broken people and let their brokenness, you know, uh, uh, affect us in positive ways. It's not going to do that, right? So there's a place of sacrifice when you're hanging around broken people. That brings its own tension. I'm talking about healthy relationships that are diverse. They're challenging. They push against us, right? So in that process, God designed the tension to draw you forward. And so you see it oftentimes, uh, like I talked about uh, in Proverbs, it's a way that seems right. So you want to try to do something different than the way God designed it, but it never works out. It may work out in the short term. That's why people get convinced that it works, right? It's like, but here's what usually happens. We'll, we'll, we'll see this a lot. We'll get into a, a discussion with a couple or something, Karen and I, and, and when, we do, when we do marriage counseling, what we tell people is like, look, there's no such thing as counseling a marriage, right? That's not what we're doing. We're counseling you and you. And so you and you have to decide to grow and become you know, more aligned with who God's called you to be and his destination, his values, all those things. If you do that, if you learn to become unselfish, and that other person becomes unselfish, you will have a great marriage, right? Because you, you'll, you'll, the places that you need to change and adjust, you'll just do it. It's good to learn skills. Those are great things, confrontational skills, all those things. They're great to learn in a relationship. But the idea is, even if you have a similar personality, God's going to make sure that in a marriage, there's going to be opposite and against. And it is not a bad thing. So when you see it, one, don't be surprised right? When you see it in a relationship with someone in a small group, it's like, you know, those, those, that kind of, that chaps me, right? You ever, it just chaps my hide, whatever your phrase is. It's like, ah, that person, I just, I don't know about that person. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's their brokenness, right? And if that's the case, help bring alignment. The only way you're ever going to see alignment in someone who's broken is be involved with them, be in a relationship with them, right? I mean, in a healthy way. So you have, still have boundaries, but you would influence them and help grow them up. That's what you do with your kids, right? You ever notice all your kids are broken? Like they're born that way? Did you notice that? <laughs> right? Some, some, one of your kids who has this really strong will, and you're like, you are so stubborn. No, they're not. God designed them be, to be tenacious, right? Tenacious is a good trait. Stubborn is, is the bad version of that good trait, right? So what, what are you trying to do as a parent? Just tell them they're stubborn all the time or actually raise them up and, and help change them, transform them into who God designed them to be. See, that's an example of that. But the other side of it is this, you don't see eye to eye with somebody about something. See, this is part of what's gotten us into such a problem right now in our political world is we, we, we all live in a bubble, right? Most of you guys watch, watch Fox News, right? <laughs> and then if you lean the other side, you're going to pick another, you know, CNN or some other, you're going to pick something else. And it's the only thing you listen to. 
don't get me wrong, there, some of them are right, some of them are wrong. I think probably one of them is more right than the other one, and you don't know which one I'm talking about right now, right? <laughs> You're assuming, <laughs> which is not a good idea. But here's my point. I, I'm doing that on purpose because if you, don't, if you don't expose yourself to different ideas, and again, I'm not just talking about just being so open-minded that your brain rolls out. That's not really helpful, Right? But you can consider things and see part of like, you know, some aspects of the Democratic Party, for example, are very much Jesus. The, the longing to take care of the poor. Who is that from, you think, right? So, so you got people who, who are broken and need help and, and, and a political party without God, potentially, some of them have God, but a bunch of them don't. They want to, they want to fix this. And so oftentimes their, their way to do it is a worldly version of it that ends up doing more damage than good. But the flip side of that is the same, same case. Like Republicans are like, you don't work, you ought not eat. That's, you know, Republicans' favorite verse, right? <laughs> Which is true, right? But, you know, one guy said it this way. He said, you know, if you're going to help the homeless, just help them. Maybe don't comment to them. It's not really, I mean, you know, unless you're really part of the long-term solution, give them money or don't give them money. But don't just go get a job. You know, here's some money. Go get a job. It's like, listen, you know, if you're going to go get a job, at, even at McDonald's, I think that wearing your underwear on the inside of your pants is a prerequisite, right? And some people are so broken that they're literally wearing their underwear on the outside of their pants, and you're asking them to go get a job. I mean, that's probably maybe not their next step is my point. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes the answers to this, again, it's so easy to just throw stuff out there and not listen to one another, even, even in the political spectrum. And how much more... As godly people, should we come together and go, so what aspect of this, how do we bless our city? How do we bless one another? How do I live in a world that's very broken and, and move forward and, and see the benefits and see the blessings that God intended me to have even in a broken world? And the answer to that, for the most part, is you cannot do it alone. You can't. God never designed us to do this by ourselves. Um, do you got, anybody remember group study? How many of you guys hated group study in high school and, and college? Anybody hate group study? These are all the smart people, right? Just so you know, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they had it together and they, they hated group study because group study was bringing them all down. But it was great for me. I was like, oh, thank God, a smart person I can hang out with, you know, cheat off of. No, I didn't do that. But, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> right? But, but part of the reason why we, we don't like that is because it comes with a natural tension, right? It's just easier to do it myself. When I drive somewhere, my wife, she's not in here, so I'm going to pick on her. She's in, in kids' church. When I drive somewhere, my wife will sometimes go, we're supposed to turn left right here. And she says it with such confidence that I do it every single time. I just turn, and I'm like, this is not it. And, you know, my inner GPS is going, she's wrong, she's wrong, she's wrong. But you love her, and she's so confident, so you make the right turn, and then I have to go find my way. She goes, and this is what she does. As soon as she, we make the turn, she goes, this is totally not it. I'm like, could you maybe say it with less confidence next time then, right? <laughs> but we find some of the funnest stuff when we make those wrong turns. My life would be so boring without my wife, I promise you right now. She challenges me in a hundred different ways. And the very thing, this is something if you're married, and if, you, if you've been married for a little while, you'll find this to be true, and I want to challenge you. This is a helpful thing. You go after this in God. The thing that irritates you most about your wife is probably the thing that, draw you, that drew you to her when you were first pursuing that relationship. That's interesting. You just now it's just irritating though, right? It's like, I hate the way you chew. <laughs> I'm just being picky, but you know what I'm talking about. You just you're with somebody all the time. It's like whatever idiosyncrasies they have, just start to get on your nerves over time. You have to make a decision about that. The reason that's usually happening is because there's some, uh, there's some issue that you're not talking about and you're finding frustration at every level, right? That's usually how that works. But what I've discovered is the very thing that can be very challenging, that, that I can be challenging to my wife, is often the thing that she needs most in her life. And because we have been opposite against in the same destination, we've managed to make a life of this and, and have a wonderful time in, in the process. But there's been a few times, if you could see some of our arguments, you would be impressed. We have a skill set you don't even know about. Right, and after a while, you, you learn things like like you know that something begins to it begins to rise, and and and, that, and instantaneously all those buttons appear in front of you. It's like destruction. Poof, if I push this one, poof, her head's going to explode. Right? Don't push it. That's really really easy to say and really hard to do in the moment. Just don't do it. You know why? Because it's probably a place where they're not. 
completely aligned or whatever. They're not completely confident. There's a lot of reasons why when we push that button, because we know usually it'll end the argument, but sometimes it ends the marriage, right? Just over time, push enough buttons, you have enough explosions, it's hard to rebuild that. I'm just saying. So that was for free. <laughs> but the whole point is, is there's often, the Bible says, you know, there's a way that seems right, but the end of it's dead. So there, if you pay attention and you say, okay, God, how did you design this to work? And, and then begin to pursue the way God designed it rather than the way you feel or what some worldly psychologist would tell you. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with psychologists in general. Oftentimes they have a, you know, an understanding of the mind, will, and the emotions. So as a Christian, we would say we're, we're a tripart being. You know, we're spirit, soul, mind, will, and emotions in our body, right? And so there's, what, what's wrong with learning about the mind, will, and emotions? The only problem is oftentimes that education or that understanding comes without any spiritual insight whatsoever. So it can be wrong, but a bunch of it's right. So there's some of that stuff is good in learning scripture and understanding the way God designed us. You're able to find, okay, this is actually really helpful from psychology. And it's really amazing if you find a really good Christian psychologist, read some of their books because they, they touch on the psychology, the mind, will, emotion stuff, but they tie it to the spiritual realm and, and, and God's way of doing things. And it's incredibly helpful, right? There's a book on boundaries I would recommend by a Christian psychologist. One of the best books I've ever read in my entire Christian existence changed my world probably more than anything else. Boundaries. Written by Christian psychologists. Why? Because he understands all this stuff. And it's often different than what we think we should do, which is why we keep getting in trouble. Right? What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, right? So if you want to see change in relationships, you want to see change in your life, you're going to have to do something different. And, and oftentimes, as God reveals this stuff, when it comes, it's going to be offensive. Jesus never had a problem offending people to help them. He never had a problem doing it. Now, he was careful. He was loving. But oftentimes, he said things that were, were very truthful. You know, the danger of us being, being uh, Southern Christians is we won't say what needs to be said. You know, we'll get frustrated, and then we'll, then we'll say it. But then it's harsh, and, you know, nobody wants to hear it. So finding that place where you can use the kindness, using, you know, the kindness. Not, if you're afraid of confrontation, learn how to confront. Learn how to say things that are difficult to say. Right? If you do that, I've shared this story a million times. Andrew, one of our, uh, he was a pastor with us for a while, and he's now in South Carolina. He, he came to me one time, he said, I think you've been really harsh with Karen. We were having lunch. And I was like, well, I think I want to punch you in the face. That's what I, <laughs> right? Because that's the instant, like, who are you, man? You know, you're working for me. You're 20 years my junior. What do you have to, what do you know? Turns out he knows a lot, right? And, and so that instant thing of, you know, bow up, you know, it's southern thing, we bow up, right? Why? Because it, I don't want to hear that. One, because it's probably true. <laughs> Turned out it was, right? So I went home and I asked Karen, she's like, yeah, you know, I was going to say something to you. I'm like, thank you, Andrew. You saved me from a world of hurt with my wife, right? Because I, I could make the adjustment ahead of time. The point is, is it wasn't fun to hear it right? When he said it, he was super kind about it. He was as kind as he possibly, possibly could be. He, he knew it was going to be challenging for me. He, he, he did everything right. Perfectly. He couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better comment. And I still had that instant thing that just said, Ugh, I don't like confrontation. Here's what that leads to. If you're not careful, if you follow that, it leads to isolation and you'll just isolate yourself and then you won't ever get any help. So now you get to live in your brokenness, whatever your broken, brokenness level is, Usually, you know, you're out of it enough to where you can survive for the most part, but you're just going to be miserable. So your quality of life is going to suck. <laughs> can you say that word from the pulpit? Apparently you can. So, so the, the whole thing is this concept of opposite and against. Again, understanding God's ways are not always like our ways. So I want to jump in just a couple of things. One, 1 Peter is just the verse we always read about relationships. You've heard it a million times. I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It's really fun. NLT. It says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So there's this expectation of, for us as believers that the journey towards wholeness in relationship here begins with the wholeness in relationship here. Right? So our, our, our horizontal relationships will only work ultimately if our vertical relationship with God is in, in place. But, you know, when the, when the uh, Pharisees, the lawyers, uh, Sadducees, these guys ask questions to Jesus, try to trap him, right? One of them was, what's the greatest commandment? They're going to try to trap him. He said, he said, all the prophets, Moses, everything, all the law, all the prophets wrapped up in this one commandment. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, right? Isn't that interesting? Love God first. And it says, love your neighbor. 
We always say that's two commandments, but it's not. It's three. He said, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you put that in order, it's love God, love yourself, then you can love your neighbor, right? You ever notice that some of the things that you hate most about other people is what you see in yourself? You ever wonder about that? And that's that whole thing of God trying to bring you to a wholeness in him. But this is what's fascinating. God will use other people to bring wholeness to you if you'll pay attention, right? But you got to be paying attention. So again, you're cleansed from your sins when you obey the truth. So now, because you have a new nature, we talk about the imperatives of the new covenant are always, they always come after the truth of what happened on the cross, right? So in other words, because Jesus did this, because he changed your nature, now you can put away wrath. Now you can love one another. Now you can serve one another. Now you can do all these things that are very difficult to do if you haven't had a new nature put inside of you because of what happened with Jesus on the cross. Cleanse from your sins when you obey the truth. So now you must show sincere love, sincere love, Southerners. right? Sincere love, not just, you know, I mean, you always say, this is how you know you, you, you've been in the South for a while. You come home from a party, it's 45 minutes later, you can get undressed and about to go to bed and you go, hey, that comment that one person made, I think that was an insult, right? <laughs> Welcome to the South. <laughs> That's how we do it, right? It's subtle. It's just slip it in there. You know, you have, to, you have to be paying attention to get it when we insult you. You're like, here's my favorite, bless your heart. That is not a good thing to say to somebody, right? Bless your heart. Unless you're being, you know, they have something happen. That's one use of it. But the primary use of it is you're an idiot and I, Jesus needs to help you. That's bless your heart, right? <laughs> you always say that about stupid people. Bless their heart. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to preach a whole series on that one day, but not today. So, (laughs) show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Another version says, love love one another deeply from the heart. The idea is, one, it's sincere, right? And the second one is, it's a commandment. You don't get to opt out on this one. You don't. So as a Christian, because you have, listen to what it says, you were cleansed from sin. So uh, another way to put that is, because you were cleansed from your sin because you've been given a new nature. Now, because of that, you must do this. You must love one another sincerely from your heart like brothers and sisters, right? And then it goes on and says, love each other deeply with all your heart or deeply from the heart. Either way, that means you're going to have to put up with some of my my stuff. And I'm going to have to put up with some of your stuff because we're all in a parade. Some of us are closer to the front. Some of us are further at the back. Some of us are Snoopy that fell down in the middle and deflating. You know what I'm saying? We're all in a parade and we all come from brokenness. It's this truth, but some people are a little more mature than others. Makes it a little easier to be around them. Maybe, right? Some people have just done their time in church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I've been a Christian for 25 years. You've been a baby Christian for 25 years and some things you're still in diapers. It's time to grow up, right? That wasn't Southern and subtle at all. I was just straight in there. (laughs) Not even a chaser on that. I was just, you're welcome. So here's the thing. If we hear this stuff, God will grow us up. And we not only, we live a different quality of life. In other words, now when people do things, I'm not instantly offended. I just recognize, hey, there's some brokenness there. And if it's not, then I need to do something about it. Let me just share this real quick, because this is super helpful in in church world, especially as part of a small group. You're going to get offended if if you stay here. So first of all, let me help you with that. If you, you are going to get offended, it is, it, is, it is impossible for you to live a life in a broken world where someone doesn't say the wrong thing, they've had a bad day, they just take it out on you. The sin is going to come to your life, whether it's your sin or someone else's sin. Sin destroys. That's what it does. It breaks things down. It doesn't build things up, right? It always breaks down. And so you're going, you're going to get offended. It's what you do with the offense that matters. And this is what God says. He says, hey, because you have a new nature, you must love one another. So when it gets tough, don't bail. Stop running away. That's a big, if, if churches would just do that, people in church would just go, you know what, I'm going to work this out. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a moment where it's not going to get worked out and having healthy boundaries, you're going to have to find another church. I get that. But that is not 90% of the problem. Okay, let's just be honest. It's not. But, but it, 
the primary hurt that comes from, and, and everybody's offense, has come because of people. That's just the way it works, right? They're broken, and they hurt. You're broken, and you're hurt, and you put that together. It, it, it can make an interesting cocktail, right? So here's the thing. What do you do with it? Here's what Scripture says. Matthew talks about this. Jesus points it out. Simple thing. If, if your brother sins against you, go to him. If you sin against your brother, go to him. So it doesn't matter who offended who or who started this. That's how, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys continue, right? We forget who started it. We just keep retaliating, right? That's how gangs work. That's how, that's how, that's our political world right now, quite frankly, right? We, we see it and it's not pretty. So how do you do that? Forgive. Forgive doesn't mean that it's okay for you to keep hurting me. I'm not stupid, right? If you smack me, I'm like, okay, Jesus says, you know what? I need to forgive that, right? Okay, but I'm going to stand back here a little bit, <laughs> right? For a, week, for a little while, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if you smack me and, and I need to forgive you, I'm going to work through that, right? Whether you change anything or not, I'm going to forgive you. But if, you, if you're the smacker and you just walk around smacking people, I promise people are going to start keeping their distance from you, right? So I can forgive you and stand back here while I do it. That's called a healthy boundary, right? It's like stay out of smacking distance. That's just common sense. But my point is, is if we don't understand this, what we do is we get offended, and rather than work it out and help that person grow or even recognize maybe I need to grow, we just bail and nothing gets any better. Same thing with families. Anybody's family sweep things under the rug? <laughs> I've been in houses where I can't even see the other person on the other side of the room because the rug's so high. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Why? Because it's easier to do that, because, and it's tough to work your stuff out. But if you work that stuff out, if you work through it, then what happens is everybody grows eventually. But you've got to be willing to repent. You've got to be willing to forgive. If someone offends you, you go to them. If, if you offend someone, you go to them. The Bible teaches it very specifically. What happens next? If you can't work it out between the two of you, get someone else involved. The assumption is someone healthy. Don't go get somebody who's just as broken as you and is on your side, right? Wearing your colors and you're going to go talk to the guy with the red hat on, right? Don't do that. That's not helpful. Because this is what we do. I'm going to bring somebody with me. But, but I'm not really bringing, a, you know, a, a third party. I'm bringing somebody who's going to agree with me and jump on that guy. Also broken, and we all know this. So what do you do? You bring somebody like the guy I was talking about before, Andrew, I bring him into a situation who has no respecter of persons, who loves people, loves me, loves the other person, and, and can sit down and hear what we're talking about with no emotion in the battle and can look at me and go, Dave, I know you asked me to come and talk about this, but I think some of the problem is you. Well, I'm just going to go get somebody besides Andrew from here on out because Andrew's not helpful. I'm going to tell him I talked about him this morning <laughs> in a good way. But, but honestly, if I want health, I want a guy like that coming to talk to me, right? Why? Because if that other person is wrong, he's going to say, listen, I think this is what's going on. I think this might be helpful. Can you see that? And if that person agrees and recognizes it, then growth occurs and the relationship is healed. But if they don't, again, what's the next level? We're going to get to that in a second. But here's what often happens. I bring somebody with me. I get someone healthy involved, a leader, somebody I, I can trust, who's going to tell me the truth and tell them the truth. I get them involved. In, and, and sometimes, a lot of times actually, they'll go, you know, actually this is, if you could see this perspective as well, this is actually something you need to work on, Dave. I don't want to hear that. I don't. And that's why it's, that's why it's easier not to do it, which is why most people don't quite frankly. Because nobody wants to be reminded of their brokenness. That's why grace is so powerful. I don't mind being reminded of brokenness because grace exists, right? Because there's, there's a place that, that regardless of how broken I am, people still love me here. God loves me, but also you love me. So if I, if I do something wrong, you work with me, trusting that God's going to help grow me, and then I'm going to be better for it, and that all of us will be better for it as, as we move forward. So what's the next level? You take it to the church. So, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, why don't you take it to a lawyer? Because lawyers making money. I love Alan Mitchell. He's my favorite lawyer in the whole world. Alan Mitchell is one of the kindest men I know. Uh, most of you guys know Alan. He's a lawyer here in our church. And I love him. But, but, but it, his lawyer skills is not why I talk to him. I mean, sometimes I do. <laughs> if, I, if I have a question about law, he's the first guy I talk to. But I talk to him because his, he's gracious and he's kind and he'll tell me the truth, right? Because he's a brother in the Lord, not because he's a lawyer and he has negotiating skills. Right? That's helpful, but more importantly, because he loves me and he's, he's a believer. But why do you bring it to the church? Because again, if you bring it to a leadership, you've tried it. Now someone in authority gets, gets to speak to the issue. And that's what, that's what authority does. And this is what Paul said when he wrote to the churches. He said, I've given, he goes, the authority I've been given, that anybody's given, is to build you up and never tear you down. 
So you want a healthy place where people are not respecters of persons, where they're not easily, you, the leaders are not moved by money. They're not moved by people with gifts and influence. They're moved by the, the, the value system of the kingdom. They're, they're moved by character. They're moved by the word of the Lord. You want those people overseeing, any, you want those people as mom, moms and dads. You want those people as business leaders. You want those people as leaders of your city, Right? But that doesn't mean they're always going to tell you what you want to hear. <laughs> but the idea is at some point, if you can't be a part of that community, after you go through that whole process, you are so antagonistic and so broken that you won't hear anybody. And that's why the Bible says then when you, this is, this is under the new covenant, right? We, we forget about this, but, but discipline, church discipline is under the new covenant. And the Bible says when they do that, you treat them like a tax collector, like, like someone who's a sinner. They're not, they're, a, they're still a believer, but you treat them that Why? Because it's what they're acting like. But not one single place does it say to ostracize them or not love them. Because is that how Jesus tells you to treat people who don't know him? Of course not. Oftentimes you, you, you know, you're, you're over there more often than you are somebody else because they're very broken. And the Bible says when you restore that person, restore, restore them with gentleness. I've only had, to, I've been doing this 30 something years. We've had to do this maybe four or five times, Maybe in 30-something years. You know why? Most of the time, quite frankly, it never gets to that level. People just bail. They just leave. And that's not helpful because we're going to grow up. We're going to have to be challenged. So I want to get in and, and finish this up with just three little points, okay? They're super simple. First of all is this. Together is God's plan. God never designed us to do this thing alone. Never. We were supposed to do this. Hebrews 10, 23. You've read this. You've heard it. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. This is the New Living Translation again. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen to that, that last verse again. And let us not neglect our meeting together. You know why it says that? Because you can neglect your meeting together. That's why, that's why the writer of Hebrews said, don't do that. I know it's going to be the tendency. When things get tough, you're, you're busy, you live in a culture that's very busy, I get it. Meeting together, especially with small groups, connecting with people, it takes time out of your life, I get it. Karen and I, we go to, we go to ball games with people's kids. Why? Because we, we love, you know, that level of, of, of softball or soccer. I mean, don't get me wrong, when the little guys play soccer, that's the most entertaining thing on the planet, right? So if you have never seen that, go do that. Why do we do that? Because we love little kids' soccer? No, because we love people. And that's a way we can spend time with. There are other ways too. But we do those things. We don't have kids. We, we make an effort, we move into. And we're not, listen, I'm not just, I'm just not saying that because I want to talk about us. I'm just saying that you have to make an intention to do things sometimes it's about other people and not about yourself. And it takes time and you still have to do it, Right? So God's intent was, was for us to do this together. He says, don't neglect meeting together. Meet together. Together is God's plan. I want to show you a picture. Um, th these are geese flying in a formation. Uh, one of the, my Bible school teachers, um, he was pretty, he had the driest wit I've ever, I've ever come across. And he said to me one time, he said, Dave, you ever notice geese the way they fly? And I said, yeah. He goes, you ever fly in a V? I said, yeah, I have noticed that. And I was in 20s, my 20s. He said, you ever notice it? Oftentimes, one side is longer than the other. So I'm super intrigued, and I said, yeah, I have no said. He goes, you know why that is? I said, no. He goes, there's more geese on one side than the other. <laughs> and I just stood there like a dope I was from Alabama. I was in California, right? And he goes, man, Dave, you're so dumb. <laughs> I was like, thank you for that encouragement, brother. <laughs> it's lifted my soul, my spirit. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with anything other than I want to show you this picture. So here's the thing. Why do, <laughs> why do geese do this? There's a scientific reason why geese fly like this. There's a couple things. First of all, it, it serves two purposes. First one is it conserves energy. They fly, one flies a little lower than the other one. And it, it, it's kind of like, it, let me put it in Southern terms. It's kind of like drafting. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we're racing. If you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so you get up close and, it, and, and the wind that comes over the first goose, right? It, it, it doesn't affect the second goose as much. So the person in front oftentimes takes the heat of it. I have a friend who used to say this all the time. He said, it's always interesting when people growing up in leadership roles. He said, they take a, a, a leadership position, for example, in a church, and he says, and they step out 
and, they, and the first time they step out, they kind of get hit, right? It's the first time you really experience. Because what's happening is the leaders have been flying in the formation. They've been front, in the front. And they've been taking a lot of the draft, right? If you put it in car terms, they've been taking the bugs and the visor for a long, long time, right? <laughs> and then some guy leans out himself. You know, he comes around, and he, all of a sudden, he takes a bunch of bugs and the visor. And it's like, ooh, that's not fun at all. I'm going to get back in here and draft. But here's what happens. In, in, the, in the geese, they actually take turns. So the, the, the goose that's in the front... It will move back and, and back and back and back, and they take turns. And when they do that, they can fly farther, they can fly longer, and they don't have to rest as much. In contrast, there's a study done on um, pelicans. Pelicans are like, you know, the dogs of the bird world. <laughs> not, really, not super smart. And so pelicans fly oftentimes by themselves. And they, they tested these things, and their heart rates are higher, their stress is, is way off the charts, and they have to rest all the time. <laughs> so w- one group of birds found this works better together, right? The second group, it's not so much. So again, we, the, the second benefit really is they keep track of one another. So you see this actually in fighter. I had a boss in, in Florida. He was a, a F-15 uh, trainer, fighter pilot trainer, type A personalities, incredible guy. His name was Jeff. But he talked to me about one time. He said, you ever notice how planes fly in a V? And I'm like, ah, oh, somebody already got me on this one. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not falling for that. <laughs> but he said, the reason why they do that, he said, it's easy to keep track of the guy next to you. He said, you, you know, you can see, you, you can see him easier. You can keep track. And if something happens, you don't, you, you know, you're not 500 miles away before you notice something's wrong. Right? So we do small groups. We talk about this. Small groups, not a program at DCF. We do small groups because we're better together. That's why we do. We want to find ways to get you connected. We, we found that this is helpful, especially in a culture that doesn't normally want to do that. So we put things in place. We challenge people on a, on a you know, regular basis for leaders to step forward and grab hold of this. We, we take a huge day, do a rally where we gather everybody around, say, talk to people, find somewhere you find that you might be able to connect. Why? Because if you get involved in this, what begins to happen is we're better together. God designed us to work together, Right. You can keep track of one another. I say this often, you know, sometimes I go to see um, someone in the hospital because I find out they're sick, and by the time I've gotten there, you know, 10 people have shown up and brought them food, they've prayed for them, and I'm, I'm an afterthought. They're like, oh, hey, Dave, you know, thanks for coming to visit me. And like, you didn't have to, because my small group already came and took care of me. We see this all the time. This is, this is what happens, because do you know, even in the world of communication that we live in, oftentimes Karen and I as pastors find out way too late something's happened to somebody. And by the time we respond, either someone's already helped them or they've moved through the crisis, quite frankly. So we do everything we can. We remind small group leaders and people in small groups, something happens in your small group, please let us know as elders. We want to help too. But we recognize that the first line of defense is you guys flying in that V formation. You can keep track of one another. What happens when somebody doesn't show up at small group for two or three weeks in a row? More chips for me. <laughs> I hope that's not how you're thinking. <laughs> right? I hope you're going, I wonder why they're not here. Maybe I should go by and see them or make a phone call, text them, see what's going on. Every time we've done that, someone doesn't show up two weeks in a row, something's up. Right? Somebody shows up and you say, hey, how are you doing? And the words that come out of their face is, are fine. I'm fine. But the look on their face is not fine. Dig a little deeper. Right? So before or after your meeting, go, hey, how's it really going? right? We hate that question, but we love the result of it, right? Because I get to unload and I get to, I get to, if I've gotten a burden, someone gets to help me carry it, kind of get the picture. So we're better together. Um, we were designed to be together and as good as together is, together is not always easy. It's messy. Together isn't easy. It's messy. It creates vulnerability. It is inconvenient all the time. It's always inconvenient. It's why the writer of Hebrews kept emphasizing, don't give up on meeting together. It's worth it in the end. At some point, this is what we've discovered. If you lean into it, at some point, you will see the value of it and you'll never go back. You'll never go back to being alone again. You're like, I'm done with that. I'm done trying to do this myself. Our biggest wounds, I said this before, often come from people. And here's the big kicker, especially in our culture. You can be with people, you can have friends, for what are, you know, uh, lack of a better word. You can be around people all the time, and you can still be alone. People are doing it this morning. You're here, with, you're here but you, you feel alone. And again, that, if we've done something wrong, tell us. We're happy to grow and make the adjustments as a church, as a people. That's our, you know, we want to do that, of course. 
But oftentimes it's not, it's not us. It's something about a person, I'm, I've built walls around my life and I'm not letting anybody in. Why? Because somebody hurt them in the past. You've been offended, you've been hurt. And so because of that, you build a wall around yourself. This is a beautiful picture of the castle, you know, the moat. We lived in England for a while and you see the moats around the castle is awesome. But here's what happens. That drawbridge comes up, people can't get to you. But if you stay in there long enough, you will starve to death. Guess what the primary way the enemy worked against castles was? <laughs> keep, make them keep the drawbridge up. They're very safe until they eat one another and they're all dead. Takes a couple months, right? They run out of supplies. <laughs> but eventually, cannibalism, I don't know why I keep leaning into that because usually that's what happens. Isolated people eat each other. It's weird. The whole point is, is you tend to turn in on yourself and before long you, you destroy yourself. So yes, it protects you from the outside world. It's why we do it. But it's the worst thing in the world that you can do because the moment you do, you isolate yourself from other people. Yes, you take the danger away. You take the, you take the vulnerability away. You take the messy away. But you also take what God intended to come with that. Now, hopefully you build relationships and you learn to do this as groups and as the people of God, we're supposed to, as families, that you build healthy ones, right? And you minimize and you mitigate the problems of all the brokenness in the world. But here's the danger. Even as a church, we tend to do this. We isolate ourselves and we're like, we're, we all get one another because we have a similar value system, right? We, we love Jesus. We're kingdom minded. Jesus said, go, <laughs> right? I know you're going to get comfortable and you want to hang out together. And I love that. It's wonderful. But go, get the fire out of here and go out there where other people are and, and be vulnerable and you're going to get hurt. And when you get hurt, here's the answer to hurt. Here's how you work through the hurt, but go out there and you're going to get hurt again. And here's the answer to that. You always have a home. You always have a place where you can come and go, these are my people. This is my tribe. These people are safe. They're good to me. And then and the worst possible pain is when those people hurt you, right? And that's why I'm saying we've got to build something different. As churches, we've got to build something healthy so when people come in, they go, I don't know what this is, but I want to be a part of this. So the enemy has a plan too. God has a plan. He wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. We talked about that in prayer time and worship uh, when we summed up worship. But the enemy has a plan too. He wants to isolate you. He wants to use the pain that's come in the past. He wants to use the hurt, and he wants you to keep cycling through the pain and the brokenness over and over and over again. Until you become convinced that that's your lot in life. That's why hope is so powerful. That's why when we come in, we go, get your hopes up. You don't understand some of the things I've been through. Yeah, you're right. I've never been through any of those things. I've been super isolated, right? <laughs> God has been so good to me. I've never seen any pain or heartache. We have no idea what you're talking about when you say that. Of course we do. Everybody goes through it. But there's something you have to do. It's a choice you have to make. I'm going to choose something different. That's why I said it, we're supposed to be together. It's God's plan to be together. But together is not easy. So you're going to have to make a choice. Together takes a choice. It's Proverbs 14.4. One of my favorite scriptures. I use this all the time in marriage counseling. All the time. Proverbs 14.4. Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Another version says, without the oxen, the stables are clean, but much strength comes from the oxen. So I usually point this at the wife. Because <laughs> the contrast of calling the wife an oxen in a counseling meeting is really helpful because they're like, how's this Jesus? I don't care. <laughs> but here's the point. There's strength that, Karen says this all the time about me. She goes, Dave, there's so many things I love about you. And she just stops talking. What are we about to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming because <laughs> I'm doing something wrong, right? But what she realizes all along is even with my challenges, right? My tendencies that, I, that need to be adjusted from time to time. And she helps bring, she's not afraid to challenge that and confront that with me, right? And, and, and she sends me to men's meetings. Like we've got one of our groups that's starting, our men's ministry starting up with Tim. We talked about this. If you're a wife and you have problems with your husband, send him to the men's ministry. We'll fix him. <laughs> or we'll attempt anyway, what we'll really do is we'll gather around him, we'll talk it through, and we'll help them work that stuff out. And, and that makes for a better man, makes for a better husband, makes for a better father, makes for a better leader, just makes for a better person because we're growing. But why, why? It's not easy. That means maybe you have to watch the kids that night by yourself. Maybe that means, you know, it's, it's, it, it costs a little bit, gas, whatever. I know it's going to cost something. But together, you have to make a choice to be together. That means to go be part of a small group, that's something else that you, you're not doing. You know, staying home watching Netflix or whatever it is. Doing nothing. Maybe whatever it is. Or doing something else. You're going to have to make some choices about what it means together. 
without oxen, the Bible says the stable's clean. What does that mean? You don't have the strength, you don't have an oxen, there's no poop. (laughs) That's literally what the Bible's talking about. Without oxen, no poop. The stable is beautifully clean. What were stables designed for? Anybody want to venture? (laughs) Animals and their poop, right? What do you have to do? Clean it out from time to time. That's what you have to do. So it's, here's the point. It's so much easier without the oxen. It just is. Let's be honest. There's no poop, (laughs) brokenness. You know, if you don't enter into a relationship, you're never going to get hurt, right? Most of the movies, you see this in in the redemption theme in movies. Even in the world, you see this. Don't get into a relationship. You're never going to get hurt. But you're going to be miserable because you were never designed to not be in a relationship. We were designed to be together. And so the picture is, um, there's going to be oxen. If you're going to have strength, if you're going to have a big harvest, if you're going to succeed in parenting, you need help. Nope. Listen, whose idea was it to have 20-year-olds get married, right? Who, who, 24, 25, what, pick a number. Whose idea was it to take young people and put them together in a home? That was God's idea, right? That was God's idea. God said, he didn't say, hey, wait till you're 80, get married, and then you, Benjamin, you know, you go backwards. That's not how he designed it, right? But I think that would have been much better because so much more wisdom. So why didn't he do that? Here's the answer. Here's what's supposed to happen. Two people get married. They're connected to an extended healthy family. Both of those families lean into that. They know the proper way to lean in. They're not trying to, to co-parent the kids. Grandparenting is not co-parenting, right? But young people, oftentimes they want to leave their kids with their parents all the time and then complain because their parents want to have, the grandparents want to have something to say about what's going on with the kids. Well, it's like you can't have it. You can, I always say, run the numbers. Let's, let's talk about your checkbook. How much do you want to confront the grandparents, right? By how much you want to pay for daycare, right? Because we see this all the time in the South. And, it, and what it does is it forces it, it forces to realize, hey, if we're going to have this, there's going to be poop, right? There's going to be grandparents are going to probably overstep their boundaries sometimes. If they're super healthy, they won't. But you might overstep your boundaries. And then grandparents have to have a conversation with you. Hey, listen, I love your kids and they're my favorite grandkids and everything. But, um, you know, could you maybe pick them up at some point and take them home with you? <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the way. Same thing. We're talking about... Uh, uh, Val and Dave were talking about having help with youth, right? Here's a great example. It's like she said, we get, you know, we get a bug in our house. We have to cancel youth. Oh, why do we do that? There's tons of other houses that could, could be hosting these kids. We'll help, by the way, just so you know. We love, we love hanging out with teenagers. They're refreshing. They'll just tell you the truth. <laughs> but but that's, that, shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be the case. We talk about this all the time. When, when a family is in, comes into the church, one of the first things that happens when we reach out to them, we say, hey, listen, you guys are sick. Can we bring you food? One of the first things that happens is, it, you know, is, is super independent. You know, pull myself up by my bootstraps. You know, I, was, I, was, I understand who John Wayne is, and he's part of who I am as an American. I don't need your help. Yes, you do. You need our help, right? Everybody needs help. And what happens is we're thinking, oh, if I do this, I'm going to feel obligated because what's happening? You're actually building a relationship that's going to be give and take. And yeah, right now you're, you're getting food and it's helping because you don't have to worry about what you're going to fix. You know, you can, you can take care of your kids, you can take care of your wife, whatever the situation is, that's help. And everybody loves doing it. And we bring the food and we get it to your house and it's wonderful. And then the other day when you're healthy and you're good, someone else is sick, guess what you do? You bring food. That's how, that's how together works. It's a give and take. We all understand this. But oftentimes what happens is I, I feel like if I get involved in a in relationship with other people, I'm responsible. That's because you are. But God intended it to be so. So take that for what it's worth. Be healthy about this. Recognize, again, small groups are not a program. It's not what we do. We do that because we know that if you're connected with other people, you're going to grow as a believer. It's going to happen. Good, bad, Indifferent, you know, it's going to happen because iron's going to sharpen iron. Challenge is going to come. Very few times have, have we, as, as a leadership, have to get involved in a small group. It's happened once or twice. But most of the time, people work those things out. And, and it's, always, it's always fun. Someone comes to us and I go, Dave, do you hear about what's going on over here? First of all, stop gossiping, <laughs> right? Second of all, yes, we know about it because we've, you know, it, it, it exploded. And we're super excited about it. Like, what? Yeah, man. Because that was going to blow up at some point anyway. Now's a good times any, right? <laughs> but what's going to happen next? They're going to fix it or they're going to go around the mountain again. We tell people this all the time. You can fix it. You can, you can, you know, God's, because of what Jesus has done, you must love one another. So you can fix it. You have the power. You have everything that you need. God's given it to you. You can fix it. 
You can do what's necessary. You can grow. You can, uh, you can obey. You can do what God's called you to do to move into the blessing that is going to come after the, the challenge, right? You can do that, or you can just go, <clears throat> go around the mountain one more time. We have people, every small group, uh, somebody says, to them, I'm going I'm to sign up this time. Have problems in their life, and they come to go, oh, we're struggling with this. Ah, ah. I say, hey, are you connected to a small group? No, no. Why would I do that? Right? <laughs> because, you know, of everything you just said, right? And there's, there's help, there's hope. And we're like, hey, man, it's hard. I write this when I send out the emails. It's hard. It's hard to make a choice and go, I'm going to plug in this time. At this church, I'm going to plug in. This is your church, plug in. Get to know people. You and I don't have to be best friends. As the church grows, the, you know, I'm going to know you by name. I'm probably, maybe I'll be in a small group with you. Maybe I won't. At some point, every church, I hear this all the time, I like a small church. Why? Because it's smaller and it's more friendly. It's like, I, I've been to churches with thousands and thousands of people. How many people can you really know in a church? You know why most churches are 70? The average is 70? Because that's about how many people a pastor can effectively look after by himself. That's why. So if you never release that leadership to other people and let them grow together and get out over your insecurity and recognize I don't have to be best friends with everybody in, in our church, right? Then we can be busy around all of us getting together and the way God connects us and it's a beautiful thing and maybe there's a tribe over here and there's a tribe over here but we have the same call and the same vision for this church. It's beautiful. So plug in. Make a choice. This, it's, time to be, it's time to take it on. It's time to say enough of the isolation, enough of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And it's going to be hard. I'm letting you know ahead of time, it's going to be hard. Do it anyway. Because the benefit, I promise you, the blessing, the, the inheritance that comes when we're together, the way God designed it, even though it's hard, it's way better than the alternative. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Lord, we just say thank you. Um, you designed things, Lord, to, to work a certain way. And God, our, uh, it's amazing that when we discover it, Lord, um, all the happiness that we're trying to find somewhere else, we actually find it in you. We find fulfillment, even in sacrifice, Lord, even in serving, even in giving, uh, even in the give and take of relationships, Lord, we find a joy that far outweighs any happiness that we've ever pursued in our life. And so, Lord, thank you that that's true. Thank you that it's worth it, Lord, and we've, we have enough people who've seen it, <clears throat> have experienced it, to encourage people and remind people how valuable it is. And Lord, I just pray this morning that, that, that everybody who's on the fence would make a choice to be part of something, Lord, to stop being isolated, Lord, to be, to, to take a chance and become vulnerable, not with just anybody, Lord, but to begin to make connections. And when they see healthy people that could speak into their life, Lord, that they would just begin to become vulnerable. And God, you would change them for the better. Lord, that this, this world was designed to receive your blessing. Lord, we're not supposed to be walking in brokenness. We were designed to receive the inheritance of a father. So Lord, we just say yes to that. And Lord, I say thank you that decisions have been made and lives are going to be changed as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.